Today, we're going to talk about, in our summer series, today is Keep Loving. And uh, last week, Linda said this one might be even more difficult, and that's probably pretty accurate because this is a kind of a tricky subject when you start talking about what does it mean to love and what does it mean to keep loving. We're going to talk today, you would think about, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians or let's talk about what Jesus had to say. No, no, no. We're going to the book of Genesis today. Um, Genesis is like one of my really favorite books of the Bible. And it is, it, let me explain to you why. So you would think about Genesis, you would think, what? That's the oldest book in the Bible, right? Because it's got the creation ethic and it's got the stories of the patriarchs. But what you would actually find through modern scholarship is that Genesis is not the oldest book in the Bible. Um, so parts of the story of Genesis, you know, what makes up our, our, our book, come into existence or are written around between 1200 and 1000 BCE, okay? And so these stories kind of keep going forward, little bits are written here, little bits are written there, but it doesn't come into its almost final form until around 500 BCE. And then there's another, what they call a redaction, little things are edited in or edited out. And so its final form, what we have for the book of Genesis, dates to around 400 BC. So what you have is in the Old Testament, Genesis is actually one of the youngest or newest books. And what you find is if you read Genesis and you, you, you read throughout the story of these patriarchs and how God talks to them, you see this kind of evolved view of God's dealing with people that really stands in contrast to what you see in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, right? Because all throughout the, New, the Old Testament, you see this evolving view of God from first in Exodus. It's like, don't touch the mountain or you'll be blown to smithereens until you get to the Psalms where the love of God is wonderful and then you get into the prophets where it's like, God wants mercy and justice. And so what you have is these writers and these prophets are starting to finally understand, oh, this is what God wants. This is who God actually is. And so then you start to see the different tone in Genesis because it's written so late. It's more of a, it's, it's a closer view of God to what you get in the Gospels. So that's why there's this kind of contrast how that works. Okay, so you know that about Genesis. So let's talk about when this time frame is that Genesis comes into being. Around 500 to 400 BC is when Israel is now returning from their Babylonian captivity. Right, because the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms of Israel have been destroyed. They've been sent off to Babylon, and now they're finally coming back. And as they're coming back, having lost everything, the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was razed, this book is given to them. And so now you kind of understand what Genesis is. It's essentially, it's a message. It's written to these people. It's a book of hope. But it's also a book of lessons. So it is in this context that the story that we're going to talk about today comes to us. So our scripture, first of three passages we're going to look at today, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And this is, really, this is a great story. And it's one of the most misunderstood stories in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam lay with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
But Abel brought the fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and on his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. He's, you know, he's pouting, right? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother, let us go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So we've all heard the story of Cain and Abel, right? And so the big mystery in this is what? Why was Abel's offering accepted and why was Cain? So we got some pictures. I have some pictures that I want to show you here um, when you see. So the first thing when you see Cain and Abel, you get a picture of, it's all about the offering, right? And then the next picture. Oh, once again, the offering. And then the final one, the offering. And what's interesting, I love this picture the most because in this picture, there's this precious little lamb, which the story doesn't say that at all. The story says that the lamb was killed and he put the choice bits of meat on the fire. But everything about everything we know about Cain and Abel is about this offering. This offering that was Cain's offering is not accepted, but Abel's is accepted. And that's what jumps out to us. Cain offers the land, Abel offers the sheep. But if you read the story again, and now consider to whom it was written. Remember, who is this written to? This is written to Israel as they have returned from captivity. We start to look at a couple of different things that you can notice. Number one, Cain is the firstborn. Now, in ancient Israel, the firstborn is very important. Do not miss this. Abel is second. Cain offers the land. Why? Because Cain owns the land. Why does Cain own the land? Because it's his birthright. Wait, 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 that's a reach, Tim. Think about it. If you want to look at Cain and Abel's story, it's kind of a reach. I'll grant you that. But now look at it as part of the larger Genesis story. What do you have? You have the story of Abraham, not the firstborn, maybe not even the secondborn, right? You have the story of Isaac, not the firstborn, Ishmael was. Jacob, guess who was firstborn there? Esau. Joseph, he's like way down the line, like 12. So this story has always been about birthrights and about what you get as the firstborn. Throughout Genesis, you see this constant theme, firstborn, rights, land, wealth. All of these things. Cain offers the lamb because it's his. Abel is portrayed as what? A keeper of sheep. So what does that make Abel? A shepherd. shepherd shepherding was a dishonored profession. It's not like, well, we think, well, David was a shepherd. He's great. Well, guess what about David? What do you know about David? Youngest, last born. The shepherding is not... It's not like you have all of your flocks and you're just, I just want to take care of flocks. No, 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 no. Shepherds are, la are wage earners. They are laborers. Generally speaking, they don't even own the sheep. They're somebody else's. 
They tend other people's flocks. What we want to know is why Cain's offering was rejected. In fact, the offering in this story is actually secondary. We saw all those pictures. It's all about that little altar and all about that offering. That's not what this story is about at all. What is offered is only important because it describes the men who offered it. The offering is not the story. Cain and Abel are the story here. It's not the offering that is rejected. What is rejected, actually? Cain is rejected. Go back and look at what it says here. Verses 6 and 7. And this is where you really find the interesting part. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So, he's, so God's even talking to him. He's like, it's not your offering, Cain. It's you. You are the problem. You are not doing what is right. So this really, it, it's, it changes kind of the tenor of this story, doesn't it? It really changes how you approach what this is here, what's going on here. Cain and Abel is a story not about an offering, but about power. It's a message to those who actually hold power. Again, think back to when is Genesis written and who is it being offered to. This is a story about power and, who's, and those who don't have power. And as we said, look at Genesis as a whole. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they're all the youngest. They're all the ones who start without a birthright, without money, without wealth, without power, and without the overarching favor. Go back to Jacob and Esau's story. What is it that Jacob manages to get? He gets the birthright, but he also gets his father's blessing, which are reserved for who? Firstborn. You see this throughout Genesis. The constant theme of Genesis is God favors those outside of power. God sides with the oppressed by power. And, and you see it in Exodus because the Israelites are without power and they're being oppressed. You see it with David. Keep looking. Keep searching through Scripture. You see it. The next passage, Luke chapter 10. Verse 25. I love this passage. This one is really good. Luke 10, 25 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you ever want to know what Jesus had to say about how to get eternal life, this is what you're looking for. What is it written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me just stop right here. Keep this in mind. Who is Jesus answering in this story? Because when you think about parables, we like to think of parables as standing alone, just telling a story, but they're always intended for someone who's listening. And this is being intended for an expert in the law, a teacher. Okay? So keep that in mind. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Do you think there were priests standing around listening to Jesus right at this moment? There always were. Always. A priest, it'd be like me saying, well, there was a pastor going down the side of the road. I mean, that's exactly what he does here. It's, 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 it's kind of an affront when he says this. A priest happened to go down the road, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. Ooh. Now you're getting into the priestly class, which includes the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Ooh, Jesus, what are you doing here, buddy? So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to him, the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any ex extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Can't even say Samaritan, won't say it. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So this is a great story about us where we should be good Samaritans, right? I mean, it's just a great lesson in the story. Except for the fact that we have, if we're not really careful, we'll miss who Jesus is speaking to. Because is Jesus speaking to the crowd at whole, saying, hey, you should all be good Samaritans? No. Jesus is talking to this expert in the law, and then he calls out the priests and the Levites around him. This, this parable is an indictment, essentially. Oh, the pastors. Well, they pass on the other side. The bishops, they passed on the other side. But... That atheist, man, he went over there and he bandaged his wounds and he put him on a donkey and he carried him away. Said in proper modern language, how does that make you feel? That's harsh. So wait a minute, Jesus, you're telling me that the atheists did better than we did? We're part of the pastoral group? And so Jesus is saying, that's what you should be doing. See, this message is not intended necessarily for those who were listening. This message was intended for those who are in authority within the synagogues and within the Jewish people at that time. Once again, Jesus is speaking to power. It's an indictment of those who hold power. So what does it look like to keep loving then? Because Jesus is, is, is really coming down harsh, and in the Cain and Abel story, it's really harsh, and it's this message that is coming out if we're ready to look at it. It's tough. What does it look like? So a couple of weeks ago, there was a religious leader in our country who will go nameless. He was invited by the administration to go down into Texas, into the facilities, the, the, the detention camps. And there they are. They're behind the fences, and there's, you know, they're jammed in there. Apparently, there's a flu epidemic that was going through there. Many of them are sick. And so this leader, he comes up to the fence, and he calls over the translator, and he says, 
tell this man, tell these people here in front that God loves them. So they do. He says, and tell them that I love them. So they do. He says, and the man smiled. And then this religious leader turned and walked away. That's, when I read that, I went, what? You, you, you walk behind somebody who's in a fence, who's being held in cramped conditions, and there's sickness all around, and you want them to know that God loves them, and then you walked away. It's like when Jesus says, you tell someone to be warmed and be comforted, but you close the door on them and leave them outside in the cold. Because you can say all we want to, I, I, I love you. And, I wanna, and I'm going to keep loving you. And God loves you. But are they just words? Because what you need to understand is that the fullness of God in the incarnation of Christ self-identifies with those who are outside of power. Those who are poor, who are sick, who are imprisoned, who are naked. Well, what do you mean, Tim? Okay, well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. Oh, man, we just, I don't even like this verse. This is tough. This is tough. For I was hungry and you gave me, what does it say? Nothing. And I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? stranger needing clothes or sick in prison and, and did not help you and he says and he will reply I tell you the truth whenever you did not for one of the least of these you did not do it for me this is hard hard scripture and Jesus' words here are, are not easy because he is literally self-identifying with everyone who doesn't have power. What do you mean, government officials? Well, look at us in here. Let's compare us. And, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I spent a year working at, at LCAC. Because I got a really good look at what people who are outside of power look like. And I got a really good look at what the least of these look like. And then you begin to understand, oh man, that's, that's Jesus. This morning, when, we were, when I was driving in, you know, if, if you came up 95 and you come onto Seminary Road, there's a guy there begging. And as I sat there, I was like, man, I'm getting ready to talk about all this and uh, you know, you just kind of hope I'm going to turn and look away. Maybe I won't make eye contact and turn the radio up a little bit. Problem for me is I'm in a Jeep with no doors, so I mean, I'm like right there. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, well, I didn't have anything. 
Clearly didn't have any. But what did I do? As soon as I got here, I text Devin. And I say, hey, there's a guy there. He's got a sign up that says, need water. So I said, find all the bottles of water we have and bring them. Because when I was thirsty, what? tough. This is tough. What does it look like to keep loving? Is it just to say, I love you? This is, honestly, I understand, this is a hard word. Because love carries responsibility. Every week we talk about and we are reminded about how much God loves us. God's love is unquenchable. It is unchangeable. It can never be reduced for you. There's no stopping it. What did we just finish singing about? The reckless love of God. It doesn't stop. It doesn't change. It's like the sunlight, right? The sun shines. It's bright. It was really hot today and yesterday. Okay, we'll count that. But it always shines. It's there for you. But when it comes to taking that love that light that comes to you, are we reflecting that back out and bringing warmth and all that the light brings to others? Or are we just soaking it in? Mm, I love God. God loves me. Good. Good day, Tristan. That's good. Or are we supposed to be shining that light elsewhere? With love comes an expectation. God's love comes with an expectation and a responsibility. Reflect the love outward. I mean, Jesus could not have been any more clear. Reflect it out. Well, well who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a story about my neighbor. He's a Samaritan. You remember, the Jews did not like Samaritans. And so he tells the religious elite, those in power in the synagogue, the person you don't like, he's the true neighbor. Love has a cost. It's not just words. So one of the things I just I love about the, uh, the Appalachian Service Project, I love this. Think about this way. We sent a team. And we're not the only church to send this team, right? There's, there's all kinds of youth groups that come in. And we went and we rebuilt homes and we served people. James, how much did those people pay to have us come in to do that? Those, those, those zero. How much did we pay to go and serve someone? We have to pay money, don't we? We actually paid money to go and do something for someone else for free. Now let's, let's bring that back to our biblical story. The Samaritan stops he takes his wine and his oil, he pours it over the wounds, puts this guy on his donkey, he walks him to an inn, and he says, put him in your room, here's my money, take care of him. And if you need anything else, I'll pay you more. What you're seeing is love in action. Now, am I saying you all should get out your credit cards? No, I'm not saying that at all. Use your credit cards later. But what I'm saying is, is that love can't just be words, unless it needs to be words. It can't just be 
Love you. Love you. Hey, hope you get water. Love. Sometimes love is, James just needs to hang out, so I just go hang out with him. He just needed some time today. He just needed some time. Sometimes it's, James just needs somebody to take him to lunch, so I took James to lunch and we just hung out. But this is what love looks like. Love, love, what Jesus is saying is like, you can't just be. To keep loving, to reflect the life of, and the love of God, it has to be more. How do we keep loving? We keep making a difference in people's lives. And making a difference in someone's life has different costs. And so when you meet people, you just got to say, what, what do I need to do to make a difference here? What do I need to do? What do I need to say? How can I show James today that I love him? Man, I'm, I'm really down. Man, hope you find some good help. God bless you. I mean, really? No. Hey, let's talk. Let's, 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 let's figure out what's going on. Do you know what I would love for it to be said about Christians, about me? We just sang, oh, the reckless love of God. Wouldn't it be Oh, the reckless love of those Christians. Oh, the reckless love of St. James. They really do neglect for the least of these. Man, we've, we've got the West End Pantry. That's amazing. That's tangible love to our neighbors. How do we keep loving? We actually embody the reign of Embody that. We are the love of God extended to others. That's what it means to keep loving. Sometimes it is an encouraging word to someone who needs it, but sometimes it's an action that somebody else needs. Sometimes it is a bottle of water, or it means, well, there's nobody to pick up produce on a Monday, so I'm going to go pick up the produce and take it to the collection. Or they need a volunteer to help pass out food to those who are hungry. I'm going to go do it. Whatever it is, I can't tell you or determine for you what it is that God's calling you or me to extend those loves. But when that light of God shines down, don't go in a cave. Reflect it out. Keep on loving. Every day when I have my prayer time, I I have a prayer liturgy that I use, and in my prayer liturgy, one of the prayers that I pray is the prayer of St. Francis. And the prayer of St. Francis is, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. That I might not so much seek to be understood as to understand. That I might not so much seek to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again. So my challenge to you, how are you going to keep loving? Embody the reign of Christ every day. Find areas. Find places. 
in your life, in your community, in your neighborhood, among your family, among your friends, to say, how can I love you today beyond just telling you I love you? Sometimes that's all you need to hear. Someone just needs to hear their love. Sometimes somebody needs a little bit more. Find what that is. Look out for the least of these. Recognize when they come. And how the rain.